What's up, Llama listeners? Joe here, and I'm excited to announce our partnership with Blazing Star Barbecue. Blazing Star Barbecue is a veteran-owned business owned and operated by Mike Starr, a veteran of over 20 years of military service and a fantastic member of the Llama family. Through his amazing rubs and sauces, Mike is devoted to bringing unique flavors from his world travels to your backyard. And I got to tell you, I love me some Blazing Star Barbecue, especially the Reaper and brand new Scorpion rubs. I absolutely put them on everything, and they pretty much have rendered the rest of my spice cabinet obsolete. Check them out at BlazingStarBarbecue.com and Blazing Star Barbecue on all social media platforms and get your sauces and rubs today. We promise you won't be disappointed. The Llama Lounge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is your host, W. Scott Green, and I am lucky to have this man as our guest in the lounge today. Good friend of the Llama family, known each other for quite some time. And uh, I'll be honest, I didn't like him when I first met him, and I'll probably get into that story later. But uh, our guest today in the Llama Lounge is Mr. Mo Arnold, Maurice Arnold. He is the CEO of Molosophy LLC. He works for Soft Consulting Firm. He's the founder of Widow's Project. He's a husband and father of six kids, and he is a retired veteran of the United States Air Force. Mr. Arnold, welcome, finally, to the Llama Lounge, sir. Come on, Green Machine, it is my pleasure it's to be on the Llama Lounge, man, especially with, with your all-star cast <laughs> of leadership on the Llama team, man. Joe Bog and the rest of the cast, man, you guys are awesome, bro. Yeah, for, so for our listeners, uh, you know, we've known Mo, the, the, the Llama team's known Mo for a long time. Uh, we all go back to uh, Travis Air Force Base, where we were all part of like different resiliency programs and uh, four lenses and doing emotional intelligence stuff. Uh, but I'll give you a little background story. I first came across Mo Arnold back at the Senior NCO Academy. I was a student and Mo was an instructor. He wasn't my instructor, but he was one of the instructors there. And I remember sitting towards the back of the auditorium. And how, how big was that auditorium? How, how many people does that fit? It, it's, it's about... 600, 550 to 600. So it's a pretty big auditorium. And I remember sitting towards the back of it and uh, there was some sort of presentation going on. I don't remember. I just remember watching Mo Arnold walk from the back out of the auditorium towards the front of the auditorium. He was about to get on stage. And if you know Mo, very professional, customs and courtesies, all that great stuff. But he also had some swagger to him too. And I sat in the back with my classmates and I saw Mo walking down and I was like, who is this guy? And I, I, I kind of felt like I, right off the bat, I was like, I don't like this guy. And I think the reason I was thinking that is because I was envious of this guy because he was able to be polished. He was able to be professional, but was, he was also able to be himself. 
And at that time, I was sort of learning how to be a senior NCO. And I'm thinking, no, I got to be squared away. I got to be uptight. I got to be, you know, like my pants are too tight. You know, I got to walk around uncomfortable. But Mo, you're, you're not like that at all. You you were never like that. Uh, oh, my God. Man, that, that's funny, man. I've had senior NCOs to come to the academy, and they made that same statement. Man, I thought you were arrogant when I met you. And that was absolutely comical because afterwards we met, we talked a little bit there, but then when I ran into you at Travis, I was like, man, this dude, Green Machine is talented. (laughs) I mean, you had that ability of drawing people in with humor Mm -hmm. at the same time the ability to drop distilled wisdom like butterfingers. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It takes work. It takes work to get there. And we'll get into that. We'll get into that conversation because I think um, one of the, we'll talk about, you know, we'll talk about a lot of things. We're going to keep it casual and go with the flow. But I think um, one thing that you're known for is your communication style and your communication skills. But before we start off with that, let's talk about your background, your history. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, how you ended up, where you're at today. Just Well, I was born and raised in the number one city in the nation. Washington, D.C. Oh, wait, no, Atlanta. My bad. Well, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Atlanta, Georgia, the Hawks, the Braves, the Falcons, the Thrashers, everything Atlanta, the Georgia Bulldogs, even though they're outside of the city, Georgia Tech. So born and raised in Atlanta, in the inner city, and throughout, you know, growing up in the city, I'm in a community that is 90 plus percent black. And so coming up in that community, we learned, I learned some of the, some of the elements of the street at the same time. My mom, she was highly cultured Mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, I'm living in the ghetto at the same time. I'm going to see plays like from Timbuktu to Babylon. Wow things like that. And so my mom was an extreme visionary and she imparted vision to me. And one of the, the, one of the early elements or one of the early principles she taught me, she said, Maurice, always take the lead. Mm -hmm. You'll be a trendsetter, not a trend follower. Yeah. And she, that was something indelibly marked on my psyche. And I didn't know it at the time, but I grew up in there. So growing up in the city and some inner city elements going on, I will tell a quick story. Right before I got in the Air Force, I was working at a place called the Treasure Chest, working as a jogger. So it was a back, it was backbreaking work within yeah. a factory. And a lot of the people in the factory, I was like 19, mm-hmm. had graduated from high school. They didn't want me working in the factory. It was mainly the the management was mainly Caucasian. They wanted me in the back because mm-hmm. I was a real bright young man. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was waking people up and I worked there. And I as I left the treasure chest because they were giving people like 15 cent raise. OK. A 15 cent, that is a, those, those are slavery wages. Mm. And at 19, 
we were breaking records with our production. And the foreman said, hey, you know what, Mr. Arnold? I'm going to give you a 30 cent raise. And I said, you know what? His name was Don. I said, you know what, Don? I need an entire dollar. Hmm. It was like, there's absolutely no way. Well, see, I went prior to that meeting with him. I was leaving to the Air Force within a month. Okay. So this was a this was this was some strategy on my behalf. I wrote down my resignation on a piece of napkin from the bathroom, <laughs> a paper towel from the bathroom. Talked to him, <laughs> and then I said, "Look, I'm looking for I'm looking for a dollar." He said, "Well, there's no way I'm not giving you a dollar." I said, "Well, I'll tell you what." I said, "Let's think about it economically." I said, "You're going to lose thousands of dollars training somebody up to my level." Well, you can give me a dollar. I mean, you just you choose that. And he was like, OK, you drive a hard bargain. We'll give you a dollar. I said, this, I was, this is a 19 year old, 19 year old. I said, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was really looking for two dollars. <laughs> he said, there is no way. And so I gave him my resignation. It was the exact time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I timed it that beautiful, but it was the end of my shift. I timed it at seven o'clock and gave it to him. Wow left there. And that was so impactful that instantly I, I got word. They were like, man, you like Martin Luther King, man. <laughs> they gave, they gave, they had been giving people minuscule raised wages for years. Instantly. Uh, most black people that ended up getting a dollar. <laughs> they didn't have that happen again. And, and prior to me getting in the air force, so I got like a month or two left. One of my friends or one of the guys we were hanging with, we used to be, we used to go to some really tough clubs with drug dealers. Yeah. We didn't show up one night and one of my friends got gunned down with a 357. We were supposed to be with him that night mm-hmm. at the same. So, and then like a month later, or three weeks later, we were in a stolen vehicle. <laughs> Got pulled over by the police. I already, I'm going to the Air Force in three weeks. I'm found in a stolen car. <laughs> and I can only imagine. Well, you know what? I've been in similar, so I'm not going to act like I can only imagine. Hey, but I was, in some, I was in some foolishness. But the thing about that particular case about the stolen car, yeah, my friends and I, we didn't know that it was a stolen car because the guy had a brother in the Marines. He mm-hmm. had his car and he was supposed to sell it and the brother was reporting it as stolen. We had no idea. Mm. But the police kept us overnight, but he he let me and my buddy off. Right. And what's crazy, my mom worked in that jail. Oh. <laughs> as she was walking up, I saw her back and I was leaving. She never knew that I was there. <laughs> That's wild. That is wild. Oh, man. But I went in there and, and got into the Air Force, man. Came in there with, I mean, I was hood, man. I came in there with a fat gold cable, Superman charm. Like, they didn't know, you know, when I saw, saw recruiters or whatever. Yeah, yeah the dookie chain on when you were wearing the, the dookie, dookie chain. chain, man. They were like, who is this dude? Like, he coming in here to take the, me and my boy, Redbone. I'm coming in there to take the test. They like, Whatever, man. This dude won't pay. After after the test scores got back, then recruiters ready to talk. Did yeah, yeah. 
but they, you know, initially they just kind of played us off to the side. But that was my road coming into the Air Force, man. And I am so grateful. Yeah. I had the opportunity to get in because a lot of I had friends that get killed and other people went to jail. You know, drugs yeah. and, and, and that type of thing. So I was extremely fortunate. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen, you know, and experienced a lot of that myself where. I, I tell people sometimes those only options are jail or retail. Like, <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's like, cause for me, like, and I don't know about you, my grades were so bad. I was yeah. like, and I def, and I definitely didn't want to go to college. So I was like, well, it's retail or jail. And, uh, and I'm not built for jail. So I figured I'll just, <laughs> I just go to the recruiter's office and get something going there. So, so you join, so you, you join the air force, you're, you uh, leave Atlanta. What was that like for the first time? Kind of, you know, experience in the world, like you had some pretty good assignments. Right. You know, leaving, leaving Atlanta and then experiencing the world, man, what was crazy when I was in basic training, I got off, I got off the bus and you know what that's like green mm-hmm. sheet to get dressed down by the, by the training instructor and in basic training, getting yelled at. I had my hat cocked to the side and everything. And he was like, he looked at me. He said, you, you one of them city boys, ain't you? And he began to rip into me. And I was like, and it was such a different experience for me. I had a smirk on my face. Like, yeah. man, if you don't get out my face, man, I'm going I'm to lay these hands on you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but I... I went into that basic training, man, and I came in with a self-fulfilling prophecy because outwardly I seemed confident, but inwardly I wasn't. Yeah. And so I had a vision of myself and I fulfilled that vision. I messed up in basic training a lot and in tech school Hmm. because I came in with that self-fulfilling prophecy. I thought that, man, you'll screw up. You'll mess something up. Hmm. And that's exactly what I did. Really? But but out of that, out of basic training and out of my years in the Air Force, because it was different coming from the inner city, coming into the Air Force, being a part of a culture that is foreign to you. I had to learn cross-cultural competency, but it helped forge the message that is that I walk in right now, which is no matter where you're from, you could be fully you and fully professional. Yeah. True. You never have to sell your soul to fit in. You can be professional. You can you can come with your own flavor, mm-hmm. your own linguistics. Yeah. And still reach and touch hearts because, because people recognize that you are really being you. Yeah. I and 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 I think people are drawn to that too. I, I think when when people recognize that this this is a real person. Um, and he's, he's not trying to put on a front. He's being himself. He's coming from the heart. I think people are drawn to that because none of us, there's, there's standards that most of us try to live up to, but for the most part, we're all, you know, we're all going to screw up. We're going to, we're all going to mess up. And so we, we, we kind of let ourselves down, but at the same time, we're more worried about what other people think of us. (laughs) And so it's sometimes just easier to just be yourself. And, And again, you know, anytime I talk about that, I talk about being yourself, obviously within, you know, the rules and regulations, but you can do both. You can do both. 
Yes. And I think people appreciate both too. So you had, you had a, a, a career for the most part in the weather world. Um, yes. But let me, let me ask you this. When did the nickname Mostradamus come to you? That came sometime later. <laughs> it actually about the same time Molosophy came. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they were pretty much they're pretty much twin brothers. Okay. Molosophy and Molosophy and then Mostradamus, the weather yeah. prophet. Yeah. So they it, came. So when I was at Langley, yeah, that's when that Mostradamus, the weather prophet, came out. I so I remember a few times seeing you at Wing Stand Up, and for those you know those audience members that aren't military, not Air Force, Wing Stand Up is basically typically like a once a week all not an all call, but it's a meeting of the minds. It's the the all the senior leadership on a on a military installation, and typically during those Wing Stand Ups, they're they're going over metrics, they're going over readiness, they're going over all sorts of highly important uh, information. But one of the things that they would always do is go over the weather. Because obviously, if you're in the Air Force, you're in a you know, most bases are a flying base. We we got to get an idea of what's going on with the weather to, you know, see if we're ready and capable. And <clears throat> I remember being at a few wing standups, and um, Mo is kicking it off. Mo Arnold's kicking it off. I'm like, why is why is Mo here? And you're you're not only giving the weather right. You're not only giving the weather update, but you would throw some sort of. Uh, motivational little lines and speeches and stuff like that. You'd always kind of sneak those in there. And that's where I was like, okay, he's most redonkous. Right. And you know, what's, what's funny about that green machine, the chaplain would speak right before me. Mm -hmm. And I would take whatever the chaplain said, I would inter I would interweave whatever he mentioned into my weather report. Mm -hmm. And the the leadership on base, they loved it, man. It would light up the room until one day they stopped me. Mm -hmm. I was doing my thing, tying in what the chaplain said and tying it into interweaving it into weather and making it into an, its, its whole hybrid subject. Mm -hmm. And the chaplain stopped me. He said, Mo, tell them right now. You and I do not collaborate. I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> he said, I see, I told you I'm the chaplain. I don't lie. <laughs> this guy is that good. We don't collaborate. He makes the, he's he improvised this yeah. on the spot. Whatever he hears me say, he ties it into his briefing. And so that was so much fun yeah. doing that. Well, that you, was, and you and you develop that reputation too. It it it, it would spread. Uh, about this guy that uh, would really just pull these leadership nuggets out of thin air. And, and, and you could take something like the weather, which some people find it exciting, some people don't, but you would turn it into a, a very entertaining yet learning environment, learning experience. So where did that come from, from with you? Cause I mean, I, my, again, my first interaction with you was you're on the stage with probably about 550 to 600 people in the audience and for people who don't normally speak in public and then to speak in, you know, you know, in, in, in the Air Force, a lot of our leadership academies, you're required to do speeches every week. So it's, it's a kind of a confidence builder, a skill builder. But 600 people, that's a different story altogether. Was that something that you were always comfortable with, was communicating to large audiences and vast audiences? I was I was pretty comfortable speaking to vast audiences. 
one of my skill sets, I grew up being a rapper. Yeah. And so I would be across the street at Underground Atlanta Mm -hmm. and I would have individuals on the street underline six words in the newspaper. Okay. I would take those words and put it into with metaphors, complex metaphors and everything into a rhyme. Like they would underline words like encyclopedia. (laughs) And I'd be like, I'm breaking it down like the news media. You know, I mean, I would be going all in. (laughs) And so that ability to think on my on my feet was a natural gifting, but it was honed on the street in hip hop. And later I became a Toastmaster. So that was the collaboration of both of those, because under Toastmasters, we did something called tabletop. Right. Well, table topics were easy for me because I I would table topics. They give you a subject and you start speaking on it for a minute or two. Sure. That was easy to me because you'd been doing it forever. Rhyming. Yeah. Yeah. And and see, and and back in the day in Atlanta, we were in a rap contest and we wrote the rhymes like a couple of days before to this one LL Cool J beat. Mm hmm. Well, somebody cut off my cousin's earphones <laughs> and he couldn't hear which song he cut on. He cut on the wrong song and I had to come off the top of my head, but nobody knew. Mm. It was fluid. But when I walked in front of that audience, it was made, it was in Atlanta at the Civic Center downtown, maybe 1,500 to 2,000 people there mm-hmm. at the rap contest. And when I walked on stage... I felt like I was at home. Right. Yeah. So by the by the time you got to wing standups, oh. <laughs> that was that was easy. That was a piece that, of cake. That, that, that was easy. <laughs> and that was a piece of cake. So you, I mean, you you've I, I your background's weather, you do a lot of professional development, but obviously communication is sort of that that key strength that that is woven through all that, right? Because if you're gonna trans translate a message to somebody, you, you gotta be able to know how to uh, relate to that audience and to communicate with that audience. And it's no, it's no easy feat. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I'm having trouble right now, maybe because I've been talking all day at work, but, (laughs) but it's, it's one of those things where um, we, we've, we had Todd Simmons on the show uh, a while back and he was talking about, you know, he has his own motivational speaking and public speaking Courageous leadership. Yes. Right. And he says he'll, he'll get a lot of people to say, I want to be like you. I want to go speak. Well, it, there's a lot to it than just getting up and speaking. I mean, you have to have some confidence. You have to have some knowledge of the, of the subject. How, how does Mo Arnold prepare for any type of public speaking event? That's something that I'm really still perfecting. Mm-hmm. I try to fill up on information And I am, again, I go back to cross-culturally competency. Mm -hmm. I go to make sure that my linguistics are meeting the demographics that I'm speaking to. Right. So that I can break through barriers and reach them in the heart directly. And so that's the thing. But one of my other passions is not only that, but most people are great communicators. Mm -hmm. Most people are. However, my I love to walk them through the process to remove the brick of fear. That's what I would do at the Senior Academy. Yeah. Because I would hear students like yourself that are very articulate. And they'd be like, man, I'm not a, I'm not a good, I'm like, 
oh, contraire, mon frère, you have believed the lie. <laughs> yeah. And I will walk them through a process and help them find their own voice. Yeah. Because most of our hearts, we have wisdom and knowledge locked on the inside of us, mm-hmm. but communication serves as the combination to the lock to, unre- to release that wisdom. Yeah. And so I feel that is part of my purpose is to help that people help, excuse me, not help that people, but help people in general, sure. leaders, people in general, just to release that wisdom that is within. Uh, yeah. I recall. And, 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 you know, uh, for me, PME was like some of the greatest times that I, I look back on. I can remember speeches that I gave or that my classmates gave way back to ALS, way back to NCO Academy, way back to senior NCO Academy. And you could see there are some people that just, they rose to the occasion. And then you would see some people and I'm talking, you know, we're with each other for two months straight. We all know each other. We're not, uh, you know, by the time we're at like the seventh week, we've bonded, you know, we've, we've hung out, we've grilled, we've studied together. And there was always something about that knowing that you were being graded Right. Knowing that everyone's eyes are on you, that the instructors in the back of the room with this his grading sheet, that some people would just they would panic. And I, I remember one guy had his his speech in his hand. And by the time he was done, his speech, his speech was a wad of wet paper because he was mm. so nervous and sweating. And, mm. and, and um, you know, it's it's and I'm, I'm not sure what it is, why, why he was so nervous, but it's not an easy feat, you know, and, and it takes. I think someone like you to just tell people it, be comfortable with who you are. And, and I think that's part of it is we're trying to live up to something, to a personality that may not be who we are. So we try right. to, we try to speak in a way that we're not comfortable with. It's like someone that tries to use big words and they've never even seen that word before, but all of a sudden they want to throw it in a speech. I'm like, do you even know what that word means? And so that's, that's why I think it's important that you understand who your audience is, but at the same time, understand who you are. Cause yeah. I am not going to give a speech. I, I will never give a Mo Arnold speech, not because I don't appreciate a Mo Arnold speech, but I'm not Mo Arnold. Right, right. And and the thing about that green machine, I one of the first things I would tell my students as they sat in the class, I would say, "Hey, I'm back here. I say I'm grading your speech, but I'm not wearing a refer- a referee's jersey. Yeah, I'm a coach. Yeah." Yeah. So what I see, we're on the same team. I do not have alcateristic tendencies. <laughs> I'm not here to tear you down. I'm here to build you up. So we would collaborate and work together. And I wish that I had that student in my class, your classmate that mm-hmm. balled up that speech and he was so fearful. Yeah. Because I see myself now walking up alongside him mm-hmm. or her putting my hand on their shoulder and said, hey, let's read this speech manuscript because there's some great wisdom here. We're going to throw the grading instrument out. Yeah. Let's read that thing because you got some distilled wisdom that we all need to know. Yeah. And I would break the rules to bring somebody out of fear. Yeah. Because at that point, it's it's not about, like you said, it's not about competition. It's not about one up in each other, who's got the better speech, who's got the higher grade. Although I had boats uh, as my instructor and I think he gave me a 99 on my final. I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, I, I just <laughs> I was like, really? But um, 
Yeah, I worked hard on that thing. So anyway, uh, enough about me. But you, you, you've always been that guy that that ever since I met, like I said, that first time seeing you, um, you just carried yourself a different way than than I think most people do. And and it's good to see. It's good to see people that are confident in who they are. And I think that makes you a better coach, right? If again, if you're trying to coach people into being something they're not, you're not going to be successful. They're not going to be successful, right? And. And two, man, one of the things that we're really learning is valuing mm-hmm. others because that person who is fearful when it comes to communication, usually the wisdom within that well is so deep. Yeah. But fear is serving as a barrier to block that wisdom to come out. And I need that wisdom to improve my life. Yeah. Because I want to know what they're carrying. I want to hear from them because I, I want to communicate. I'm like, man, I need you. I, you are important. I need you to drop this wisdom on me. Do you think it's because breaking that barrier might be difficult because people might think that what they have to say might not be important? Yes, because they, they think that what they have to say may not be important or the most dangerous thing is comparison. Mm-hmm. They're comparing, they're comparing themselves to that other person in the room who speaks like Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I would also share with my students, that they would say speaking is my weakness. I said, oh, contraire moon prayer. I said, weaknesses are defined by purpose and design. Mm-hmm. If you, if your main job is speaking and you can't speak, that may be a weakness. Right. But if speaking is a part of what you do, that may not be a weakness. That may just be something that you need to improve on. So I hated to I hated to see people compare themselves with one another because a Bentley, a Bentley and a Hump V are mm-hmm. both at the top class of, their, of, of vehicles, but they're in different, they're different classes of vehicles, but they're the top of their class. Yeah. But the purpose is different. Mm-hmm. The Hump V is for going over rough terrain. The Bentley is for, for luxury. Sure. And so usually we get somebody that is a hump V trying to compare themselves with a luxury car. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Yeah. I'm like, look, that Bentley can't do what you can do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? And someone is going to hear you speak and you don't know who's going to be drawn to it. You know, you may assume that I'm not as eloquent as the next person. Uh, like I said, that person sounds like a, a president or sounds like a, um, you know, a Martin Luther King type, but not everybody is drawn to that. They may be just drawn to your, whether it's straightforward or whether it's honest or whether you drop a few ums here and there. Um, right. someone, someone's going to relate to it. Someone's going to look at it and go, you know, this person isn't that polished or this person doesn't carry themselves a certain way, but that's somebody that I can, I can relate to. Exactly. Exactly. Simon Sinek in his book, starting with why, he made a key statement. He said, most of us connect because of values. Mm-hmm. That's what we connect on. You know, in Stephen Covey's last book, every relationship moves at the speed of trust. Mm-hmm. So someone can pick up on the free, our spirit men are like Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. People can pick up on our hearts, man, and we may speak and have a lot of ums, uhs, verbal crutches. However, people are connecting with our hearts. We're on the same frequency. We have the same values. 
And two, most people can relate to Clark Kent. They can't relate to Superman. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so when they see us, they say, oh, man, I can do. Oh, my God. Mo did that. I can do that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I'm cool with that. And sometimes that's what people need. They need to go, oh, oh, I did. OK. Yeah. yeah I, that I, I got this. That. Yeah. <laughs> I can do what he just did. You know, uh, so, yeah, it's so was that like the public speaking? I know you you had a background where you're comfortable with it. Did it really refine or get really more? Um, did you feel a lot more comfortable after working at the uh, senior NCO Academy? Did it really come to light that, for you? It it helped. But yeah. I spent time with Toastmasters. <laughs> OK, yeah. I spent a lot of time. Plus, in weather, we had to breathe all the time yeah so toastmasters was easy to me also to when i first stepped into toastmasters they graded me as though i was an advanced toastmaster from mm-hmm. day one sure because i was used to briefing in front of large audiences with weather getting mm-hmm. questions thrown at me from colonels possibly generals yeah so i was used to it so for for the folks that listening in they're not familiar what Tell us, tell them what Toastmasters is. Toastmasters is a speaking organization, an organization that focuses on speaking, oh, communication and leadership. Mm-hmm. And so you meet, you have a structured meeting and everyone gets the opportunity to speak during that meeting. Mm-hmm. They're very, they're within the leadership track. There's a leadership competency but also within the communication competency, you once you are a what's called a competent communicator, they it's changed now. But once you're called a competent communicator, you get to match the your communication style with whatever what I would tell people to do. Match your communication style with the discipline okay. that you're a part of. Okay. So some people wanted to write books or whatever. I would encourage them to get into storytelling. Right. So Toastmasters so broad. And then you had the opportunity each meeting for table topics. Yeah. You're getting evaluated on your speeches. You're getting table topics. And I, I formed something that I call impromptu rainiest speaking. <laughs> <laughs> it was something where I would map out something in my head, but at the yeah. same time, I would throw different nuances nice. into the speech yeah. at the same time. And I may have made that speech up within five minutes. Yeah. It's like improv. It's like improvisation. But, yeah. It was crazy. I had a, I had a speech. I don't know if you was at the Academy then, but I had a speech called Robin. Mm-hmm. From Batman and Robin. Okay. Okay. So I'm at the. So what would happen after we would do P? You remember we would do PT in the morning. Yes. After we do PT in the morning on Friday afternoon, you might be at the end of a three or five mile run, and the commandant will run up to you and say, "Hey, you're speaking today. <laughs> in ten minutes, once PT is over, you're going to speak to the entire class." Yeah. Well. Me, <laughs> he told me that Chief Perry said, Mo, you're speaking in five minutes. I'm like, cool. I had a speech that I had never done, but I would map speeches in my head because I would play with acronyms and economics. Yeah. Acrostics all the time. So I had a speech called Robin. 
And it stood for real, overcoming, bold, inspiring non-commissioned officers. Nice. Oh, my God. That speech hit like a bombshell. Hmm. I mean, students were shook to the core. Even I had students come to me after I left the academy, and they was like, you that I don't remember <laughs> anything about the academy, but I remember that Robin speech. Nice. Because the way I tied in the Robin speech was that as, as a senior non-commissioned officer, you are a Robin, so you are Robin to your Batman. Your Batman is the commander, mm -hmm. but you're also the leader of the enlisted corps, so that makes you like Robin over the Teen Titans. Oh, right. Okay. And so, man, that speech, man, oh, my God. And people were accusing me. Mo, I know there is no way you had to practice that. I had never practiced that speech. Yeah. I would just, Mentally. I just put the words together on my way coming to work and just yeah. played with them, but never had practiced it. And it's, man, that speech, I'm telling you, it hit like a bombshell, man. It, you know, and, it, and it's not a bad idea because I've, I've been in those situations too, in different positions I've been in, in the military and even after the military working in um, corporate training and, and professional development. And it's, it's always a good idea to have some sort of speech or just, you know, some, you know, a motivational, um, you know, five minute thing in your back pocket. And I, and I don't mean physically in your back pocket, but I mean like ready okay. to go. Something, something that you're working on, on a, on a routine basis, because you don't know when you're going to need to pull it out or when you're, when it's going to benefit you. And I, and I've been to a lot of different, um, events and recognition ceremonies and they're like and mr green do you have anything to say <laughs> and, and, and as a matter of fact i do have something to say right i i i pull something out ready to oh, go man it's important to do that so one word that you mentioned that sort of stood out to me is storytelling and i think for people who are worried or nervous about public speaking is to treat it like they're storytelling because they could get up at a barbecue with their friends and talk about this happened yeah. at work today and that happened, you know, at the house. Yeah. But for whatever reason, when it's a formal setting, people will freeze up. But I think when they treat it like it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation or a small group discussion, people are a little bit more comfortable. Right. And I think storytelling is so useful. And I would share this with my students. Whenever they would drop a principle, I would say either tell a story for that particular principle that you're dropping or tell a story at the end, because the story is the personification of that principle. Yeah. That's Brings why it. in the Bible, Jesus did parabolic mm. teachings all the time. Yeah. With, a, with that agrarian culture, because he knew they would remember the story. And from the stories you meditate upon the story, you can extract the principles. Well, yeah, you can so that, you can visualize it. You can actually right, put you yourself in those shoes. It. Yeah, exactly. You can visualize those truths and actually bring them to life. You can personify those principles. So that's one of the things I would really, really focus on. And yeah. those stories got them comfortable because it can turn you from actually doing something academic to being a little bit more comedic. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and it draws people in because yes. sometimes if you're telling that story, maybe you have something serious to present, some sort of, um, you know, new policy or something like that in place. 
But if you're able to capture people's attention with a story that draws them in, but in a lot of cases, it makes you more comfortable because you have to do that little icebreaker for yourself where you're up in front of this large group or small group or important group. But if you're able to sort of weave that story in up front, sort of break your own ice, and then all of a sudden it's like, and now I'm going to share with you why this is important, you know, and you go into yes. the policy or go into the, uh, the important stuff. So what are some, who are some folks that you look up to as, as speakers? Is there anybody that stands out to you? Yes. One of my mentors, man, <laughs> Dr. Samuel Batances. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> he, he has been a diversity consultant to five presidents. Okay. We still talk now. Recently, he was speaking to, he was speaking at some event for, uh, I forgot, it was some Latino event for my Latino brother and sisters. And Andrew Young, the former mayor mm -hmm. and U.S. ambassador was there. Andrew Young was introduced to Dr. Patances. <laughs> And Dr. Patances, he just introduced that. Okay, yep, I've heard of Dr. B. When Dr. Patances finished speaking, yeah, Andrew Young said, told, stood up and told everybody, Dr. Patances is now my mentor. Ah, nice. <laughs> I mean, like this guy is riveting. When yeah. I was an instructor at this at, at the senior academy, and when we did the chief leadership course, mm -hmm. he would speak to the chiefs and he was so rich in wisdom. We say, hey, Dr. Batances, you're speaking two hours today. The one speaker won't, this other speaker won't be able to come. Can you do an extra hour? Oh, no problem. And you would sit and hear this guy speak for three hours and it felt like 30 minutes. Nice. The chiefs will be glued to their seats, stunned like they're quiet at the... <laughs> <laughs> which is rare for chiefs to have that which many is rare man they have nothing like they're up there just shaking his hands man but they're like totally in awe yeah yeah but that guy whew. and obviously you know i went to the same high school as martin luther king obviously yeah. well before me but we graduated from the same high school nice. and i love dr king man yeah yeah i mean him, man, that guy. Whew. I, 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 I love it, man. And also, I'm going to tell you another person, man, who is really, really good, man, who I consider, in my opinion, one of the best communicators I've ever come across. Yeah. And that was my former commandant, Chief Perry. Okay. Right on. His ability to frame a message. He is what I would call a verbal economist or okay. communication economist. He could say a lot in a few words and convey a picture so succinctly that it is spellbounding. Nice. Oh, my God, man, could he frame a message there? And he could sift through communication. The other aspect of communication, he was an extraordinary listener. Yeah. And that's the area that I'm perfecting. He could listen to someone speak for five minutes and then say and sum it up in two sentences. OK, what you're saying is this, this and this. Am I correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Bam. Extraordinary communicator. Chief Alex Perry. And, and that's such an incredible needed skill 
because we're in this day and age where sometimes we get information overload and we, we sometimes we just need the bottom line up front, but we also want it to be compelling enough where the person's going to listen to it, not just, just kind of take it. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for that little tidbit. And um, that, that's something that uh, where I work at, you know, work in government, obviously, uh, and do we do organization development and we're working on policies and I'm training my folks like, your stuff's too wordy. They're writing these, writing these novels on, you know, right. here's, our, here's our proposal <laughs> for this. I'm like, you need to bring it down. You know, our, the, 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 the mayor or the uh, city managers, they don't have time to read this, this, you know, this bylaw that you just wrote. Like we, we need just well one pager, put it, put it in one page and that stuff sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. We've had that advantage by being senior leaders in the air force because we understand that colonels and generals don't have that time. Right. Yeah. It's and a, so it's, that's the distinctive advantage that we've had over our civilian counterpart. Yeah. yeah. And it's a similar sort of uh, chain of command too, which, which I appreciate. It's one of the reasons I, I'm excited about the, the work that I do. So speaking of you, you mentioned um, chief leadership course, you're still doing stuff with the, uh, uh, with Gunter, right? You're still doing some, some business with them down there. Most definitely. I, I speak to, a couple of flights on diversity and inclusion. Okay. And it has went really well. It's outside of their curriculum. They do it on their free time. Okay. And they've chimed in. And some of the meetings, my Lord, some of those meetings were four hours long. Mm. Like they were locked in. <laughs> like, so they, like they didn't want to leave. And, yeah. and some of the comments we would get even I was there in person in June. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, man. And spoke to them at, in the old senior Academy leadership conference room. Nice. Oh my God, man. And that's one of the statements. They was like, man, we wish you had more time. Sure. Because the message I follow my, my mentor in that sense, where diver diversity and inclusion has a negative connotation, like it's white male bashing. Mm -hmm. Sure. And really, diversity and inclusion is all about developing mission-driven teams. Yeah. yeah. Full of exclusivity. And so I take out the white male bashing and acknowledge that we've had atrocities to take place. However, we must focus on we can't take from someone and distribute to another, mm -hmm. you know, because then we would no longer have a meristocracy. Yeah. We're looking for equity of opportunities versus equality of outcome. Sure. And so yeah. that is my message, man, that I'm really focusing on. And one of the things that I'm really focusing on even stronger is taking out a lot of the diversity and inclusion linguistics mm -hmm. and really focusing on diversity and inclusion or a part or they're under the organizational development. Right. And team building umbrella. Yeah. And so I replace those words, <laughs> yeah. diversity with relationship management. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is the fourth element of emotional intelligence mm -hmm. that was launched by Daniel Goldman, Goldman. Yeah. the architect of emotional intelligence. And so that's the angle that I've come with. Yeah. And, and, and it's very compelling. And, and, and you need to have somebody who's presenting that topic. Like you said, it could be, it's a hot button issue. Um, and there are ways to present it where I, I, I you know, lately, so I, I'm, my field 
organizational development. Obviously, we're part of the human resources department. And, you know, and I've been in corporate training for, for a while now. And there are so many, you're asked to go to so many DEI trainings and so many DEI workshops. And so, and hey, listen to this presentation, listen to this presentation. And I fear that you don't want it to become overkill, right? right. If, I'm, if I'm attending five or six different presentations on DEI, at some point, and and, and you and Mo, Mo and I, we you, I love you, right? So you know, you know, you know my heart, right? Yeah. But sometimes it feels like more like an or a moral obligation, yes, than it does understanding sort of the competitive advantage you get when yes. you have diversity inclusion. Um, so for me, I'm I'm someone that's you know I've been a minority just about everywhere I lived, and I get uncomfortable around. <clears throat> Groups that are, you know, one tone, and then, and and that's my skin tone, right? If it's if right. it's a if it's a majority white group, I get uncomfortable. I I love to see uh, teams that are just diverse and not only color, not only uh, you know race, but you know thoughts and perspectives yeah. and backgrounds. Right, there you go, because it because it builds the team. You have more. You have more. Some people might think, hey, what's a guy from the street got to tell me? You know, I'm I'm a Harvard educated, you know, and then this guy from Atlanta is going to school me on something. Well, there's some street knowledge there that you probably didn't even think about. And at the same time, the kid from the the, the streets of Atlanta is going to learn something from that Harvard educated person. But I, I think um, I think it's such a huge topic and it's so important. But I, at the same time, there there's a you got to have that skill set to deliver it where it doesn't feel like we're just we're just watering it down. Right. Exactly. And so I switched to linguistics. Mm-hmm. I really switched to linguistics and I I deliver it and I take out a lot of diversity and inclusion. And I, I portray it as a leadership imperative. Mm-hmm. And especially with the good like Kevin, Kevin Cope in his book, The Big Picture, mm-hmm. there are five drivers, five business drivers that businesses focus on cash assets people profit and growth mm-hmm. where within the government we're here to we're here to cover the gap mm-hmm. you take out the cash and the profits and then you just have gap mm-hmm. growth assets and people and so i focus on how to improve those through leadership taking out a lot of the that the diversity nomenclature because if we stick with the strictly diversity nomenclature and terms, there's burnout taking place and it's not sustainable. Yeah. I want to show the outcome from these initiatives. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's the bottom line of things, right? That right. For any organization, whether you're a government, whether you're a, um, a for-profit industry um, showing that bottom line, showing the value in these types of programs. So that's, that's huge stuff, man. And, and I appreciate what you're doing. And, and I know that the, I'd love to be a fly on the wall, listening to those conversations and listening to those presentations. Come on, man. Hey, and dude, it is, I have such fun. And one of the things most people say is my Lord, I never heard it from that perspective. Yeah. Like they were thinking they were going to get one thing, and they were totally crossed up. Yeah. 
and they saw the end game like, oh, wow. And one thing that you touched on earlier, I really focus on cognitive diversity. Mm -hmm. Because you can have people of different races within a room Mm -hmm. and it's still you still don't have diversity. Right. Everybody is from an Ivy League school. They all think alike. So you don't have cognitive diversity because the mind determines the individual. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I really focus on is that cognitive diversity piece. And we want different perspectives from different demographics and that type thing. But that cognitive diversity is the huge is, is the largest piece of what we focus on. Yeah, that you have when you have that diverse, those diverse perspectives and skill sets, you have more options at your disposal, more, more choices, more ways to win. It's almost like, uh, you know, I don't know if you watch mixed martial, mixed martial artists, MMA, UFC, you know, you got the guy that's really good at wrestling. You got the guy that's really good at, uh, you know, uh, kicking. You got the guy that's really good at throwing punches, but when you got all those skill sets, you have more ways to win. And that's what I love about uh, having a diverse group of people, a diverse team with different backgrounds, different perspectives, different thought processes. Cause I love, you know, I've been, I've been reading leadership for so long and, you know, been studying it for a while. Sometimes it gets kind of old, but every once in a while I'll get someone that just blows your mind. Like, wow. Like I, that's a, that's something I haven't even looked at it from that perspective. And, and we still need that even at the leadership, especially at the leadership level, you need to have your mind blown once in a while. You need to have someone come out of left field with, with some idea, which you're not going to get if you're just looking in the mirror every single day, thinking you have the answers. And, and what I mean by looking in the mirror, it's aligning your, your team with people who look just like you, sound just like you, have the same background as you. So I, I love it when someone just comes in out of left field and they're like, well, have you thought of this? And you're like, whoa, like where'd that come from? That's huge. That's big stuff. Right, man. And that cognitive diversity is so important because you need six, you need six components of the mental framework to deal with complex problems. Mm-hmm. And those things are, and I would just take op, op, op rope. You need, <clears throat> you need outcomes, you need mm-hmm. people, you need risk, you need opportunities, you need process, and you need evidence. Yeah. Those six elements are going to come from different individuals. They're going to provide those for you when it comes to solving complex problems. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's what it's about, man. Nice. That's what it's about. None of us is as smart as all of us. True. True. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. I, I, that's one of my favorite quotes. uh, Cause it just, it just makes so much sense. Just makes so much sense. So Mo. Let's talk a little bit about molosophy. Where did molosophy? Well, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but what is molosophy? Molosophy is Mo's philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it started back in like 2004. Uh-huh. My squadron commander at the time, he had me do, I was at the end of the training day. So he had, we, you know, the training days we would have and speakers speak, for, speakers speak for hours. I was the last person speaking. Yeah. And at that training, and he had been telling people, wait till you hear Mo. 
wait. And he had never heard me. <laughs> he said, wait till you hear Mo. That, could, like, uh, that could be intimidating too, right? I know, Cause, cause, but I, I wasn't. He was like, he was telling all the officers, all the leaders, wait till you hear Mo, you're going to be stunned. But he had never heard me speak. Yeah. And I presented something on mentorship. And when I started, the, the audience was like, Mo, how long is this going to be? They went from <laughs> that until when it was over, they were like the airmen. It was Friday. They were free to go home. They didn't want to leave. They were oh. like, oh, my God. They ran. The airmen ran back and told their leaders, you missed it. You missed it. Yeah. But out of that, Molosophy was birthed because my squadron commander wanted me to write leadership tips. Okay. And I'm like, look, man, my reservoir of wisdom is not that deep. I need everybody. You guys got perspectives on some things I need to learn from. It's not that will not come from me. I'm a, I'm a young master sergeant. Yeah. And so but I wrote the first one. And at the end, I would write like maybe a paragraph. So I would write something that was short and digestible. Yeah, it was man. It was nutrient rich and concise. Yeah. And it would hit them. And at the end, I would have a quote and I would say molosophy. Yeah. And the, and, and the airmen loved it so much. They was like, man, we need some more molosophy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, man. So that's where molosophy started. Nice. Nice. And, and people would say, man, you know, man, got to have that molosophy. So that's how it started, man, back that's, then. That's nice. Yeah. You know, so speaking of back then, like most people, when they when they are learning about the Llama Lounge and they're learning about Llama leadership, um, I think a lot of people think we we started um, last year when the pandemic hit. But we've actually you know, you you know this because you, you've been around. Oh, yeah. We, we started as a blog site like back in 2018. And you were one right. of the first authors like you were one of the first contributors. And the article that you uh, wrote for us was called The Power in Your Communication. And there's a couple quotes that I want to pick out of there because I thought they um, th they're pretty valuable. But I want you to add to them a little bit, if you don't mind, just just give us a little bit of uh, sort of what you're thinking there. <clears throat> so one of the quotes that I picked out is the real purpose of communication is to activate. Whew. Man, I was reading that quote today. <laughs> oh, my God. The real purpose of communication is to activate the nuclear potential of words to create new possibilities and forge into uncharted realities. Yeah. Oh, my God, man. The And the reason I pinned that statement is because most people, we relegate communication to the most common use. Right. Saying that it is the transference of ideas. Sure. But I don't think of communication. I think of communication on a higher purpose. Communication is the transference of realities. Mm hmm. And in that article, man, that story that I told in the article, <laughs> oh, man, about one of my airmen invited me to a volleyball game. Yeah. And I was invited, didn't look at volleyball. The game went to 15. That first game, they were losing 13 to 2. And they got ready to walk off the court after a brief break. And they was like, man, it's over. They're getting ready to throw in the proverbial towel. Yeah. So, man, it's over. We, we, we've lost. 
And I looked at them with a righteous indignation, borderline violence. I mean, it rose from within me and I was angry. And I said, you, I said, you need to get a grip and come equipped right now. (laughs) All of y'all get a grip and come equipped. I said, you're not two points away from losing because the game went to 15 and it was 13 to two. I said, you're 13 points away from winning. Yeah. So I need you right now to get to seven. Do not let them score. And they came all the way back and won the game and then beat them the next game. And everybody, man, they were running over to me. Hey, (laughs) you come to every game in my airman. My staff, so I was a master sergeant. The staff sergeant at the time was over the volleyball. I'm like, man, I'm not taking a thunder. I don't know anything about volleyball. I just don't like losing. Yeah, yeah. If I'm here to root you on, I, I want right, to see right. you I'm win. here to root you on. But <laughs> yeah. that was a transference of my reality. Yeah. I brought them into my world. And so that's the primary purpose of communication is the transference of realities. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to give individuals hope, man. Yeah. And, well, and, and I love and I love it. I, and I love the part in that original quote that said uh, the real purpose of communication is to activate because you, there should be an end result with why you're speaking or why you're writing. You know, what, what do you expect from that person? Do you want yes. them to move forward with something? Do you want them to just sit back on it? I mean, um, and I love the idea of, of it activating something, an emotion, a response, a, uh, a, uh, a motivation. That's, that's huge right. stuff. Another quote you had in there was, uh, we are all capable of being the light to another person's darkness. Oh my gosh. I know, man. <laughs> oh man. I love that. Being the light to somebody else's darkness, because sometimes people are at the end of their rope. I remember once at Langley one day, I didn't know that this young lady was on the verge of committing suicide, Hmm. but it was something that was said that I said to her that gave her hope when she was in complete darkness. I had no, and that goes to show, I didn't know anything about this. I was just being (laughs) myself, right? And just encouraging you know my native tongue is encouragement Mm -hmm. so i was just encouraging this young lady and i found out later someone from my squadron came to me and they said hey this young lady said we got something somebody real special in our squadron and basically she told me that she was on the verge of taking her life yeah but she heard something that you spoke to her in passing yeah and she didn't do it yeah, that's 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 huge, and that that's and it not only says a lot about communication, but it also says a lot about spirit, right? Yes. About about you know sometimes we walk through life. I mean, there's there's challenges, right? There's there's all kinds of stuff going on in this world. You and I both know, but when you have that, I know for me, I'm a person of faith. You're a person of faith, and yes. and my testimony. It, I, I don't. I never want to ruin that. So I, I, I walk around with some joy. I walk around with some happiness, and um, I, I never know who that's going to affect. It might rub some people the wrong way. Like, man, I come into work and like Green's always smiling and he's you know in a good mood. You know, doesn't he know that we're getting chewed out today? And but I don't want to ruin my testimony, so I'm going to be the positive. You know, 
you know, worker. I'm going to be that guy that's like, uh, let's, Hey, bring, bring on the work. Let's bring on the, uh, adversity. But we, we, I think we need more people like that. I think we need, and, and I think you're, you know, like a kindred spirit in that, that sense. Yes. Yes, man. And come on. And you mentioned about motivational speaking. Mm-hmm. I hate when people would say, Hey man, Mo is a great motivational speaker. Because I remember your team brought me over to the to the hospital to speak to the top three. Mm-hmm. And one of my people who was a former student, she was like, wait till you hear him. He's a great motivational speaker. And I'm like, nah. I told the audience, I said, I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm an environmental consultant. Yeah. I discern what environment would cause you to thrive because yeah. a fish is naturally motivated intrinsically to swim. Mm hmm. And so I want to connect you to who you already are because motivation, motivation is intrinsic, not extrinsic. Okay. Yeah. And so that's the thing. So I say some things, but I really focus on who am I speaking to? Yeah. You, You know, and that's the thing, as we talked about earlier, our spirit men, our spirit men are like Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. We pick up on one another frequency. And it goes back to this article that I wrote about Harry and Rosemary Wong, mm-hmm. their statement in the first days of school. They said students are not persuaded by the height of your intellect, but by the depth of your convictions. Mm. Yeah. When you whoever has the most hope, whoever believes the biggest has the authority in the room, regardless of rank. True, true. That's I, I'm trying to think of something clever to, to come back at, but I mean, you can't get it any, any more real than that. You know, it re- really, because no matter what anybody else is thinking or spewing, if you got that hope, if you have that, um, that conviction, if you have whatever it is, you're going to win. You're, you're going to win. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about, what you're doing on the side. You got, you got some different projects. Um, let's talk a little bit about Molosophy LLC. What are you doing with that, sir? Well, the Molosophy LLC, I, I'm setting up right now. I just launched it, mm-hmm. but I'll be doing some consulting for okay. organizations and I'll be flying out to one of the bases pretty soon. Nice. But they want to know from me what package am I providing? I want to know what outcome are you looking for? Yeah. I w- if I cannot provide value, I want to take somebody that I know that can provide, because I don't want to waste their time because this thing is too important when it comes to leadership and diversity and inclusion and all of that. So that's the thing I'm doing. Like I say, I'm setting up to do consulting and going out doing some speaking and not only that, but within organizations going out speaking to their leadership, but also providing some unconscious bias training that is mm-hmm. off the chain that is different. Okay. If this one, this level of uncut, they won't know what hit them. <laughs> Seriously. Because there, there are some studies that said that unconscious bias training doesn't mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. I sell contrary moon Frere. You can't put it. It's it's based on the facilitator. Right. And what's the objective? Right. I'm not trying to point out people's sins. 
I'm trying to point out horizontal inconsistency so that we could step into an area of critical thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes because sense. Martin Luther King said the function of ed- education, therefore, <clears throat> is to teach one to think intensively mm-hmm. and to think critically. And I believe we need to have critical thought within our discourse. Yeah, I think I think too much of education is just transfer of information and not about helping people learn for themselves. Exactly. And, and, you know what I mean? It's it's we're not teaching people how to learn. We're just teaching people how to absorb. Right. The regurgitation of information. I believe education is the precursor to innovation. Mm-hmm. You want education, you want assimilation, and then you want innovation to be the end fruit, the end game, mm-hmm. which contributes to production. Yeah. And I, I, so, I think too often people don't, again, I've been around corporate training for a while now and, and I've, and I've seen some really great presenters and some really great uh, workshops. And then I've seen some where people are just, <laughs> they're just, they're phoning it in or they're, they're using, you know, uh, they're just kind of giving the lowest level of uh, <laughs> information they can possibly give. And, and it's like, it, and it's regurgitated it. You know, I was I was sitting on one today, as a matter of fact, and uh, they're talking about the change model, and 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 I just felt like there's they're going through the the model, and I'm like, yeah, this could be so much better, you know. Yeah. But they were just they're just presenting the model, you know. They're just wow. presenting the, the the change model. So uh, we got. I think as as educators and trainers, we we have to. Uh, Again, look for that, like you said, what's the expected outcome, right? I don't want to just transfer knowledge. I want people to walk away with new yes. ideas and new perspectives and new ways of doing business so that they can be more successful, so that their organization can be more successful. Not just, okay, you guys saw my 20 slides. Best of luck to you. You know, I want them exactly. walking away transformed. There is a book out that I that I've been reading. I've kind of put it on the shelf for now, but the six principles of breakthrough learning. I think okay. that's the, the name of it. But one of the things like I don't want to waste time when I'm breaking something down to the last molecule. I want to know about your policies and procedures and see. Yeah. Is I want to see whether or not what I'm teaching does it mesh with your culture? Does right. it fit what you have already established? Because that creates sustainability. Yeah. Because I don't want transaction. I don't want transaction. I want transformation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, and that should be the ultimate goal. That should be the ultimate goal of not only training and corporate training, but of communication. Right. Right. We we want we want people to walk away with something a little different. Uh, whether they a new attitude, a new perspective, a new. Uh, you know, just way of doing things. And I, I think you're one of the best people I've ever seen do it again. I didn't like you when I first met you, but I love you now. Uh, <laughs> so you're, so you're, you got the philosophy LLC going and what is a uh, soft consulting firm? You're part of soft consulting firm. Yeah, soft consulting firm. I do the leadership development for soft consulting. Okay. Developing the leadership team and preparing the executives <clears throat> on the team as we go out and do consulting within the governmental space and within corporate America. And so that is a beautiful, that's, oh my God, my people. Yeah. My, my, my leaders of the company, the COO, Shanika Nelson, and my, my brother, my brother, Tarvis, ready for the harvest. (laughs) Nelson. I think everybody, you know, has got a nickname. Man. Oh yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, man. So they they do an outstanding job, and they actually they're the embodiment of the principles of the company, right? Which I so love. They're not trying to live up to the core values. The core values are living from them. Nice. Yeah, that's huge. So it's a pleasure working with them. Yeah. Now this this last project that I'm going to talk about, or I want you to share with it's it sounds like an important project. Um, you're the founder of the Widows Project. What's that about? Right. I was doing the Widows Project. I launched that within the community where we got men together to mm-hmm. help widows within the community. Yeah. And so, man, that was some big things that were just like one individual had their roof replaced. Nice. Where it was getting rained in on their house. And man, we raised thousands of dollars to replace that roof. And it, <laughs> with this particular person, we wanted to change the trajectory of her family. Yeah. It's not about just putting a roof. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Man, her whole family has been hit. Yeah. Her son, daughter. Now, we said a widow's project, but we were not hamstrung by the name of widow's project. She had a husband, but both her and her husband were dealing with disabilities. Yeah. But this totally changed their family. And it wasn't just me. After the Widow's Project, after we finished and started some things, somebody else, this lady Patty came in, man, her whole family. Like I said, that that was my prayer. Yeah. We just didn't want to supply heat to our house and stop it from raining in our house. But we wanted to totally hit our hearts, man. And her family is, is not the same. So, so where, yeah, where does, where does this come from for you? Like what's, what's the, uh, what, what kind of uh, drives you to do these type of philanthropic things? Well, the, the widow's project was launched because one lady came to me at church one day and said, Mo, I'm about to lose my home. And I got these things going on in my house. And I was like, who's helping you? And she said, well, this person has helped me and this person. I was like, you know what? I said, I'm going to put together a team. So I, I leveraged my project management skills that I learned <laughs> being the senior leader in the You're Air like, Force. I put together an Air Force ball once or twice. <laughs> yeah. So I put together the – man, we put together the team, and the people were so helpful, man, had several teams. When she, she was on vacation, when she came back, man, she was weeping. Yeah. But not only that. We also worked in some people that I knew from college, from Brandman, yeah. who were up in leadership at Wells Fargo. Shout out to Wells Fargo. They lowered her mortgage by two thirds. Nice. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> oh, my God. She was stunned. Yeah, that doesn't we happen. Persistent. Bank, banks don't do that. That's, right. that's, that's rare. Yeah. They lowered her mortgage by two thirds. We were persistent after no. They kept telling us no. And I was like, you know what? One of my people said he believes this can happen. And so I cho- I, I take his word as a word from God. I'm going to act on as though God said it. And we kept with it. And yeah, it, it really hit her family. You meant you mentioned Brandman, Brandman University. You and I are both. Uh graduates of some organizational leadership programs, but yeah. you actually had the the privilege to speak at the graduation ceremony. And what was, there must've been what, 35, 4,000 people there, probably more than that. Yes. I, I thought it was maybe 5,000. It could have been more than that. Yeah. Yeah, man. But I, that was 
so beautiful, man, to speak on destiny, dedication, and daring. Yeah. Man, and that story was about a lady who went from being a welfare mother to being mm-hmm. the mayor in Riverdale, Georgia, that's right outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And when I was tasked to do that speech, I prompt, I was prompted in my heart to look up that story about that lady who went from being a welfare mother to the mayor and just look at that story. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna look it up. And that's what I based the speech on because yeah. that paralleled my mother's life. And my mom yeah. ended up dying later that year. She passed yeah. on. But that speech was in honor of my mother, in honor of this lady, who my yeah. mom, who was very similar to my mother. And the and come to find out as I'm studying and looking, I said, wait a minute, that lady looked familiar. <laughs> it was my partner, George Wynn's mother. Yeah. Who was the mayor. And I knew her from back in the day. And I would think about her throughout time while I was in the Air Force because she was so impactful yeah. back then. And so, man, that was a great time, man. Yeah. That, that was that oh. speech. And I think I remember you calling me like a couple of nights beforehand saying, hey, Scott, I think I'm going to switch it up a little bit. <laughs> and I was like, hey, you know what, Mo? You, you already graduated. It's just a formality. They can't take the they can't take the degree from you. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> but that 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 was that that was huge, man. That was huge. And and I've shown people that video, uh, like when I'm doing communication classes and public speaking stuff and train the trainer type stuff. And I'm like, you can be yourself, and you could go to these formal events, and you can be yourself and still make that impact. And even that story of, of uh, is it Miss Wynn? Is that her name, right? Yeah, yeah. Ms. That Wynn, story, yeah. I would share that with students of mine who were struggling, thinking that they couldn't get through school and they couldn't finish things. And then I'm like, well, here's a, um, a single mom of like, I think she had three or four kids almost jumping off a bridge, ready to commit yeah. suicide. And then she turned around and got degree after degree after degree and then became the mayor. So it's a, it's a great story. And what I love about it is even though it's not your story, you teach it or you, you, you communicated it with so much passion as if it was your story. And I think that's, that comes from that, not only that skill and ability, but your, the way you just kind of dive into it, like you own it. Right. Yeah. And she's so, she was very much like my mom. Yeah. My mom is just like her, but my mom dealt with mental illness. So she didn't reach that particular potential. And I saw that was my mother's potential. Yeah. Yeah. Cause my that's mom's huge, the impact player. Yeah. That's huge, Mo. That that's, this has been fun. This has been yeah, fun. And, and the funny thing is for our listeners, Mo and I have these conversations on the regular. This is just like the first time we recorded it. <laughs> so, yeah, come on. yeah. So this has been good, man. So um, what I want to do is uh, as, as we wrap up here is hit you with the, uh, the leadership rapid fire. I'm going to ask you four questions. Um, it's hardly ever rapid. Um, you, you res- make it rapid. Yeah. You respond the way you want to respond. Don't think too deep about it. Don't have to, you know, wait, well, what do you mean by this? So you, you hit me with your answers. So the first one is your, uh, what is your favorite leadership skill or trait? Mine is vision, vision. being a visionary. That's my favorite trait because it's not about a person's level of, of intelligence but their ability to see the big picture. Yeah. And so that's my favorite trait. I consider that outside of competence and character, I consider that to be the hallmark of leadership. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that call themselves leader, but they're not really taking anybody anywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so one of my one of my arguments is ours is where are you leading them. And if you and, and if you know where you're leading them, you got to have a vision or foresight of where you want to go, or you just lead them into the wilderness and get lost. So I think vision exactly. that's a great answer. Uh, what is you have a do you have a uh, a favorite quote? Yes, my favorite quote, man, from Dr. Miles Monroe in his book, Purpose. He says the purpose is the master of motivation and the mother of commitment. Mm. And so I love that. Man. That's a great quote. That's a great. Quote. Yes. The master of motivation. And mother. <laughs> All right. And the next one is uh, what is a book you would recommend to leaders or anyone wishing to improve their communication skills? Let me let, let me switch up. Let me do something we would do in Toastmasters. Okay. Let me switch up on you. Let me bridge. I would say the most one of the most important books outside of the Bible that someone could read. I would say the book by Dr. Henry Cloud on okay. called about integrity. It's that's the title, integrity. Integrity. All right. I thought I knew what integrity was when I was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Reading his book. Even the greatest leaders in the Air Force or military, whatever, may not know what integrity is. Okay. The way he defines it breaks down integrity is eye opening. All right. Oh my God, that book mm-hmm. is outstanding. And so these this this book and the other books that you've talked about too, we'll we'll make sure we get these in the show notes as well. So that way folks can uh, you know, after you're done listening to the show and you're interested in, in picking one up. We'll have the uh, the Amazon link available so you can click on it and and uh, go purchase those books for yourself. And so the last one, this is the heavy hitter. How do you find harmony between life, learning, and leadership? Because here at the Llama Lounge, we are all about life, learning, and leadership. Well, I I find what I what I'm finding within life, learning, and leadership. I put them together. Like mm-hmm. I, I try not to segment my life. Yeah. I try to get everything to flow within the, I try to get all of the tributaries to flow on the same stream. So when I'm focusing on life, mm-hmm. I'm focusing on learning and at the same time doing leadership because they're never separate. Right. I'm always learning. I'm always flowing in life, thinking about family sure. and, and just thinking about leadership how could I actually learn from my daughters mm-hmm. <laughs> and how can I leave them? <laughs> no, that, that's huge. Yeah. Along with my wife. So I don't, I don't separate it. And that, that helps me stay in line with purpose. Yeah. Because I, I could, I, it keeps me from being drained because I bring those in together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. And like, for me, I think leadership, you, you, you can't lead without learning. And, and, and true leaders, they, they do have a life. They have exploration. They have, you know, passion. And uh, sort of like you, I think they, they all go hand in hand. All right. Well, Mo, how are some ways that our, our, our listeners can get a hold of you? What's, what's some good ways to contact you? Right. Well, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Maurice A. Arnold. All That's right. how you can catch me on LinkedIn, or you can catch me Maurice, M-A-U-R-I-C-E, at Mo, M-O, underscore 
philosophy, or right. excuse me, you don't have to go underscore, but <laughs> M-O-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y.com. Right. Maurice at Molosophy.com. Or you can look up Molosophy on Twitter. Okay. Okay. There. My, trid, my, my Twitter will be a little bit more active now. I haven't been very active on Twitter and Instagram and well, I don't, I need to build, honestly, I need to build an Instagram account, but I, I'm not a person who likes to just release quotes and that type of thing. Yeah. When I release something, I want to be burning with it. Yeah. And I want to have a specific objective and lead people somewhere and make sure that I'm adding to their leadership and life cash yet. Yeah. I, I feel that. I feel that. All right. Well, Mo, this has been good, man. It's been great catching up with you. It hasn't been like years, like, like it has with some of our other guests, but uh, cause you and I, like I said, we talk pretty regularly and uh, I appreciate your friendship and your, your mentorship and your, your, your being a sounding board for me over the past several years. So, uh, and appreciate you showing up to my retirement ceremony and giving the invitation. Oh my God. That was awesome. <laughs> Even though I didn't like you when I first met you, I love you now, man. Yay, my bro. <laughs> Your retirement was awesome, bro. Oh my God. That was awesome. Before we head out, we want to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Blazing Star Barbecue. Go to blazingstarbarbecue.com. Check out Mike Starr. He's got the best rubs, the best sauces. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, llamas are out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.